He can change the leper's spots. Amazing. Make new life, new sight, and new sound. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, please. Matthew chapter 9. New life, new sight, and new sound. <clears throat> Three stories consecutively in Matthew chapter 9 give us those thoughts. First is the story of a little 12-year-old girl who's being raised <clears throat> from the dead. We know that she is Jairus' daughter. And we know that the Lord Jesus came in to a hopeless situation and gave hope. In doing so, he raised her from the dead. We're going to call that new life. Let's, uh, let's read a portion of that beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 9. While he yet spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hands upon her, and she shall live. Jesus rose and followed him. And so did his disciples. And as they were going along the way, he got into another situation. That ever happened to you? <laughs> you think you got the mind of the Lord and you're going along and you get an interruption. Well, that's what happened. They had an interruption. There was something um, in, in, in the shadows there that came out. Another woman and another need. We'll not concern ourselves with that for the moment. But I want you to notice in verse uh, 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame thereof went abroad in all that land. <clears throat> Let's just keep one thing in mind. When I give the, the details or an exposition of the passage, but one thing in mind, we want to let that story represent life, just new life. There's new life. I want you to think about that in Christ. When the Lord Jesus comes into your heart, you can't remain the same. You have new life. The Bible talks about being born again. It talks about a new creation. That uh, if we say that we have trusted the Lord Jesus and nothing changes in our life, and, and let me add to that, no lasting change comes to us. Well, I think we'd have every reason to believe that Christ is not in. Let me tell you why. When he comes into your heart, he naturally expresses himself out of your hands and, and your head and, and your mouth and your feet. Uh, you, you have new life. You, th there's a different perspective on life. Let's just think for a moment. He raised this little girl from the dead. We want that to represent in our thought about the Christian's life that that is a new start, that is a new life. 
Now in verses 27 down through verse 31, we have two blind men who are healed. Let me suggest for you that that represents new vision, new sight. Um, when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, many, many things happen. Not only do we get a new start, a fresh start, sins forgiven, an abundant life, a new life on earth, but I see things different. My perception is different. We'll talk about that in a minute. And, and then look at verse 32. And when they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb man spake. That is, his tongue was loosed. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Bear with me. We've got new life, we've got new sight, and we've got new sound. This is what happens when you get saved. Your life is radically changed. That is, you have a potential now that you've never had before. Um, the Spirit of God takes up residence in you and begins to open your eyes to all the beauties and the wonders of the Christian life. But not only do you see things different, your vocabulary changes. <laughs> oh, my vocab vocabulary really changed. <laughs> I remember about um, possibly two weeks, maybe three weeks, uh, after, by the grace of God, I trusted Christ. A lot of grave clothes still on. And I'm standing at a construction site with some other guys, and we're going over the details of the day, and right out of my mouth, just like it was normal, just like it was routine, I took the Lord's name in vain. And at that moment, for the first time in my life, I realized what I said. It's just a habit before. It's just you could hardly make a sentence without swearing. And I took the Lord's name in vain. I felt like all of heaven went, what did you say? <laughs> what are you doing talking like that? And I went, oh, what am I doing talking like that? My vocabulary changed. New life. New sight. New sound. Is that real for you today? Are there evidences of salvation in your life? My youngest sister was 13 when I got saved. Uh, I was the first one saved in my family. I went home. On the way home, I'm driving. I thought, boy, my dad will get saved. My mom, she'll never get saved. I just know that. She's just not going to, she's not going to go for this. I just know it. So I got home and very reluctantly, but bold in the Lord, I shared the gospel with my mom and dad. My mom got saved right away. <laughs> and, and dad wasn't long behind. And, and then I had two sisters and, and 
and, and dad talked to my sisters, okay? 38 years passed. And my youngest sister, who um, had made a profession of faith when she was 13, said, I, I'm not saved. Said, Dad, every, every day when I came home from school, Dad said, did you do it today? Did you trust the Lord today? She said, I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew I wanted to do it. I wanted to please Dad. And so she said, I said it. And she didn't put it in these words, but let me put it in these words for her. She didn't have new life, and she didn't have new sight, and she didn't have new sound. There were no evidences. Now, she faked it real good, and none of us knew. But in tears, after 38 years, I was visiting. She came to me. She said, I can't pass the night. She said, you've got to help me. I'm not saved. Told me the whole story. See, there's got to be lasting evidence, not flash in the pan, not all oh, great. And then where did that person go? <laughs> Weren't they just giving their testimony last week of all the great things God has done? Where are they? Oh, they're not here. They're not coming back. They don't want to be among Christians anymore. Something wrong, folks. Something wrong. New life. Eternal. New sight. Begin to see. And new sound. Let's read now about the sight. I'm going to read again in verse 27. You watch your Bible. When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knows this. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad the fame in all the country. <clears throat> Let me encourage you that when you read your Bible, don't read it too fast. You know, sometimes we can read our Bible so fast we don't get it. We say, did you read your Bible today? Yeah, what'd you read? Ah, I know I read it. Let me prove to you that we read our Bibles too fast. Notice verse 27. When Jesus departed, two blind men followed him. You got that, right? You see, we can read it so fast, we just go, oh, yeah, two blind men followed him. Great, move along. What, what's next? See? Well, let's look at it a little closer. <clears throat> we could ask ourselves this question. Why are they following him, and how are they following him? Let's do the why first. Why are two blind men following him? Well, in verse 26, something just happened in the country. 
a little girl was raised from the dead. And a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who calls himself the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, he did it. Well, Claremont's not that big of a place, but let's just suppose it was just a little rural community. It doesn't take it, doesn't take it long for the news to get around. Jairus, you remember Jairus' daughter? You remember she was 12 years old? You remember she died? Well, Jairus found this man, Jesus, and Jesus went to Jairus' house. They were there. I mean, they, they'd all, they were already mourning. They were weeping. They were crying. Jesus went in and said, uh, excuse me, if you just leave, she's not really dead, you know. And they laughed him to scorn, but he put them all out. When they went in, he spoke to her and she got up. I saw her. She, she's playing outside. She's healthy. She's well. She's a normal little girl. Boy, it wouldn't take that long to get around. I don't know where these blind men lived. I, I, I don't know what area, uh, uh, if it was in the same area where Jairus' daughter was healed or not. I'm not sure about this, but I know this. The fame went out. The story got out. And so I'm suggesting that because the story got out, these blind men, now think, think about something, uh, no place to go to a hospital, no cataracts removed, no lens implants, no surgery. Uh, if, if you are living in this day and you are blind, you don't have any hope. You're done. It's, it's, it's impossible. There's no doctor available that could give you any hope. All of a sudden, these two men realize that if, if he has raised a little girl from the dead, it is very possible that maybe he could help us. That might be the why. But we gotta ask ourselves the question, how? <laughs> how are they following him? Can't you see them? They're sort of just locked on with arms, you know? and uh, stumbling, maybe a cane of some kind, and they're trying to get around. Now, if you look through the, the New Testament, you're going to find out that I think in almost every case of people who are blind in their encounter with the Lord Jesus, there's always somebody helping them. We don't read of anybody helping them here. But I'm going to suggest that perhaps there is somebody helping them because it would be virtually impossible for them to even know what direction he's going in. And so I want you to visualize in your mind two blind, hopeless people who are as best they can trying to figure out where Jesus is and trying to follow him. They're doing that best they can. I'm, I, perhaps there's a, a guy in the shadows, like blind Bartimaeus. You remember him? They said, he called for you. Oh, this way, this way, go. He's out there. Oh, well, th these people have no direction, but some way, somehow, by the grace of God, they follow the Lord Jesus. Now notice what they're doing as they follow. Verse 27. They are crying and they are saying. Just say, didn't say they're crying. 
Didn't say they're saying. Said they're crying and they're saying. Um, the, the word crying uh, comes from an interesting word. It means the craw of a the the caw of a crow or a raven. Well, we have a little one-acre lot in the north part of Sault Ste. Marie. We've been there 24 years. I'm going to cut that grass one more time, Lord willing, and then I'm moving, <laughs> okay, at the end of this month. Now, uh, we have a lot of trees, a lot of, a lot of trees around. You have some big spruce trees there, and in one of those trees, uh, oh, my goodness, been five or six years ago now, I guess two old crows came, made a nest. And they enlarged their family. And now I got five. And young teenage crows, they're the worst, you know. Whew, they are loud, let me tell you. And uh, <clears throat> before sunrise in the morning, I mean, they're out there and they're cawing and carrying on and whacking and yakking and all this. And I thought to myself, I know how to fix this. I'm from Mississippi. My wife said, you can't do that, you can't. I said, I'm from Mississippi. I know how to do this. Let's say for illustration's sake, it's a little annoying, okay? That's what these guys are doing. They're crying, okay? But they're not just making a noise. As they're making this noise, I want you to notice they are saying something. And what they're saying is this, thou son of David, have mercy on us. I, 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 I believe it would go something like this. Here's these two blind guys. They're trying their best. They, they've got some direction somehow. Jesus is in front of them somehow. They're stumbling along and they're saying, thou son of David, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Thou, thou son of David. Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Thou son of David. You get the point? They're crying and saying. Like the call of a crow. Over and over and over. Who told them that he was the son of David? Oh, if we read our New Testament, not, we don't have to go very far, do we? Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. They didn't have a New Testament. The word is out. There is something. You see, the son of David is the Messiah. Now, something real neat about this. When the Messiah comes, one of his credentials is that he's going to recover the sight of the blind. Wow. Did they know that? Had somebody said, if he's really the Messiah, he can cure you. <clears throat> I don't know. But I know this. They said, thou son of David, they identified him. And they said this, this is their request, have mercy. That's what we need, isn't it? You see, they are in an absolutely hopeless situation. They can't fix it. <clears throat> Nobody can fix it. Let me translate this just a, a little different for you, just to get the emotion of the thing. 
Thou son of David, would you be kind to us? Would you show us kindness? Hmm. You can only imagine how many people spit on them along the way. How many people swore at them along the way. I mean, they, 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 they sit by the side. I mean, they can't work. They have no way to earn any money. They're at the mercy of society. And evidently, nobody's showing mercy. Nobody's being kind. They said, thou son of David, would you be kind to us? Would you have mercy on us? Mm. The plot thickens. Watch your Bible. Verse 8. And when he was come into the house. What house? What house? Jesus doesn't own a house. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a house or home to lay his weary head. But he's found one, and the door has been opened to him, the Son of David, the Messiah. So, notice, when he, the Lord Jesus, was come into the house. I'm going to suggest that somebody in that neighborhood, in that rural area, along that little street, has opened their home to Jesus. And they are absolutely delighted to have Jesus visit in their home. Some of you are like that. You've opened your home to Jesus. You, you've opened the door of your heart to the Lord Jesus. And he's come in to your heart. And because he's come into your heart, he's working himself out of your life, and you've got new life, and you've got new sight, and you've got new sound, and now you've opened your home, your physical building, your house. You've opened that to the Lord. And you're thrilled when Jesus comes and visits with you. Oh. Notice. When he was come into the house, the blind man came to him. How did they do that? How did they know that he had turned into a house? Did he make an announcement? For any blind man who might be hearing, I'm about to take a left turn. Uh, and go into this, no, there's no indication of that. There's no, there's no dialogue. They may be saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us, but he's walking. No indication he turns around. He slips in to a little home. Was someone there saying to them, uh, he, he went into a home. Just put your hand on the fence. Go along. The next gate you come to, he went into that home. Go in there. You'll find him in there. I don't know how they knew what home he went to. But I'd like to have a friend that would point me to Jesus. I'd like to have someone that cared enough about my soul that they would say, Jesus is just up ahead. Jesus is just there at the house. You, you'll find him there. Here's some directions where you can find him. I don't know how they did that. But I know this. The blind men came in the house 
to him. Oh, my. You mean if, if I open my door to Jesus, other people might come in too? <laughs> oh, but they're not our kind of people. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, we know those two men. They sit on the corner down there at the intersection begging. Every, they don't smell nice and they don't look nice and they don't talk like we talk. And I would never want them in my house. sad, isn't it? Oh, we welcome Jesus, but not two blind men. We wouldn't want them. You, you, you see, <clears throat> we got a bit of a problem here. The problem goes something like this. Do I determine who is worthy of help or not? Am I so smart and so intellectual and so spiritual that I can choose the people I want to associate with? Yesterday an announcement was made, and I thank God for the announcement. I'll tell you why. The announcement went like this. When you go into the dining hall, please sit with somebody you don't know. You know what our tendency is, birds of a feather flock together. Oh, who is that? I don't know. And that's the end of that conversation. Isn't that weird? That's just the way that goes. Instead of saying, well, we should go meet them, you know. Jesus comes in, two blind men come in. You can only imagine the host going, oh, boy, <laughs> what's this all about? Why are they here? Where'd they come from? Who let them in? You see, when you open your heart to Jesus and you open your home to Jesus, then you have opened your heart and your home to minister to those who seek Jesus. No matter what color their skin is or what condition physical condition they might be in or how much education they got or what kind of car they drive or etc 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 oh but we're not like them well uh, let us be careful because we read a great long list that Paul gives to the Corinthians of what we were like folks don't ever forget that one okay we are what we are by the grace of God so anyhow they come in I don't know how they get in, we're not sure, but they come in. They, they, they've been directed or helped, the Lord has helped them. They come into the house. Now, inside this house that has been opened to Jesus, inside this house, Jesus says to them in verse 28, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now remember, this is the first words recorded in the dialogue. They're out in the street saying, son of David, have mercy on us. Would you show us kindness uh, he turns into the house. They come into the house. The first thing, Jesus turns around and he says, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Well, what in the context, do what? Show kindness. Be merciful. And they say to him, Yeah, yeah. We, we, we do believe that you're able to show us mercy. 
Uh, matter of fact, by calling you the son of David, we believe you're the Messiah. And if you really are the Messiah, then you can heal us. You can show us mercy. We know that. Yes, we believe that. Notice he says in verse 29, he touched their eyes, and this is what he said. According to your faith, be it unto you. Hmm. I suppose if they had a little faith, they'd see a little bit, right? If they had middle-sized faith, they'd see a little more. If they had great faith, 2020. I don't think so. Matter of fact, I'm going to suggest that the authorized version is a little weak here. You check it out later, see if I'm not right. Let me retranslate that phrase for you. Instead of saying, according to your faith, which you could understand it perhaps that way, it was easier for us to understand like this, because of your faith, be it unto you. Because of your faith. Oh, did they have faith before? I think so. They're out in the street in total darkness, and they're crying out to somebody they've never seen, and they're calling him the son of David, and they're asking him to have mercy. They follow him somehow into a house. They are following the best they can. He says, do you believe I can do it? They say, yes. He says, okay, because of your faith, be it unto you. <clears throat> Verse 30 said their eyes were open. Unless you've had problems with your vision and somehow by the grace of God you've had a, a cataract removed or a lens implant or an operation of some kind that's tremendously improved your vision, you don't get this too good. <clears throat> uh, my dad, uh, was one of his eyes was injured as a kid in a slingshot fight. Somebody popped him in the eye, boom. That, Pretty well finished that eye. Later, he got a, an infection in his good eye. A herpes virus attached itself to the cornea. He was one of the first candidates down in the research hospital in, in Florida to have a, a cornea transplant. Eight millimeters out of a good cornea, cut eight millimeters out of the corner of his eye, put the good one in there and put 64 stitches, individual stitches in that. He said it was like somebody opened your eye and poured sand in and then closed it and said, don't move, you know. He would have four more of those cornea transplants until the eye was so bad it had to be removed. And now he's got the only eye left was the injured eye. And it wasn't very good. He had, he, had, he had some vision with that, but very poor, legally blind. And then one day somebody said to him, I think we could do a lens transplant in that eye. But the risk is, if it goes bad, you won't have any light. So he put it off for a while. He said, a little light's better than no light. And he kept getting dimmer and dimmer. And so he took a 
step of faith one day and he went and had a lens transplant. Correctable to 2040 with glasses. He had light. He could see. He could read his Bible. Maybe you've known someone like that. Maybe you've had some experience like that. For most of us who have relatively good vision, we can't imagine what it would be like to live in darkness. And all of a sudden, you can see. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the first thing, the first person they saw would be the Lord Jesus? The, the man that they couldn't see, the, the shadow in the dark, the... Uh, the, the, the man that they cried out to and, and asked for mercy for, he, all of a sudden, they see him. Isn't that the way it goes when you get saved? Like, look, let me, let me tell you something. Here's the way it goes. Here's the cross right here. I'm over here. I'm not saved. Okay. So my friend says to me, Joe, he said, do you see Jesus dying on the cross there? And I go, yeah, I see it. I don't really see it. I don't spiritually get it. I can't. It's spiritually discerned. I don't have the spirit. All I can get is conviction. All, all I can get is the spirit of God showing me that, that I'm not right with God. I have no peace in my life. I'm at war with God. I've offended a holy God. I don't know what to do about that. And he says, don't you see Jesus dying for you? And I go, I'm trying. I can understand substitution. I can understand somebody dying for somebody else. But to get the concept that Christ is dying for my sins, he's paying the penalty of my sins, listen, you cannot get that. And I'll tell you why. The greatest soul winner that ever stepped on the planet, the Lord Jesus himself, tried to explain that to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, you mean i got to go back to the hospital and be unborn? He didn't get it. He didn't get it. What is the cure for spiritual blindness? Only one. A step of faith. No other way. You hear the gospel. It comes in. You understand to some degree the spirit of God says to you, you need Christ. You need to take a step of faith. You need to trust the Lord Jesus. I can't really get it. I can't really see it. But I take a step of faith. I'm over here and I go, oh, I see that. Of course I see that. Look at that. There's Christ. He's dying for me. He, he's buried for me. He's risen for me. I got new life. I got new sight. And my vocabulary is going to change. Let me tell you. When you're over here and somebody's trying to tell you about the gospel, maybe some of you here this morning, and, and we're saying to you, you need to be saved. You need a life. You, you need forgiveness. You, you need heaven. You need Christ in your heart to show you what life is all about. You don't know what life is all about. And I know you can't see it because the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. I know that. But you can take a step of faith. You don't have to understand it all. You can't understand it all. But you can say... I believe that Christ died for me. He paid the penalty of my sins. He rose again the third day to give me new life. I'm embracing him by faith. 
on the Word of God. I'm obeying the Word of God. Now I see it. Now I got it now. And you know what the tendency is now? I want to go tell everybody. So I go to my friend and I say to him, my friend's over here, I say to my friend, you need the Lord. Can't you see him up there? And he goes, no. Because my friend's got to take that step of faith too. And my mom had to take that step of faith. And my dad and my sisters and you and everybody. For by grace are you saved through faith. You must take a step of faith. What will happen? Your eyes will be open. You'll be able to see. It's an incredible thing. Well, not only will your eyes be open, but notice uh, Jesus said to them in verse 30, he said, now don't tell anybody. Good luck on that one. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Here are two blind men that just had their eyes opened. And they said, now don't tell anybody. That's like saying uh, to a little boy uh, out in the yard, stay out of the mud. You know, I said, you can't. I mean, they got to tell somebody. Come on, give them a break. First thing they did was disobey Jesus. Did you ever get that? The first thing they did was to disobey him. Now, don't be too hard on them. What's the first thing you did? It's incredible, isn't it? How that we get saved, we get new life, we get new sight, we get new sound, all of these wonderful things, and the next thing you know, we disobey him. Do you think for one moment that when Jesus said to them, don't tell anybody, that he didn't know that they were going to run? And what does it say in verse 31? They spread it abroad. They told everybody. They, they went out and they told everybody what had happened. So you've got to ask yourself the question, why did he tell them not to tell anybody? I mean, wouldn't that be okay? Didn't he want to get the glory? I mean, he did it. What's wrong with them telling everybody? You'll read early on in the Gospels, that's what he told everybody. Don't tell. Why, why wouldn't he want them to tell? Because Jesus, the son of David, did not want to be known as the magic man of Nazareth. That's why. The healer of Galilee has come. No, no, no. That's not his purpose. At this point, his purpose is to what? Set up his kingdom. He's, 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 the, he's the Messiah. He, he, he may have credentials and he may show it by signs and wonders, but that's not what he wanted people to follow him for. He wanted people to follow him because he was the son of God. He, he, he's the king of Israel and he's come to set up his kingdom. That message would be short-lived and it would be changed to go not only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but go to the Gentiles now. And that king would be crucified on a cross. And now it's okay to tell. Tell the story everywhere you go. In closing, let me ask you if you believe. He asked him, didn't he, in verse 28, he said, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Let me ask you, do you believe that he is able to do? And you fill it in. I don't know your life. You believe that he's able to fix a marriage? 
Now, we've, we've been to counselors, and my wife and I sat with a couple once, been married 18 years. You know what she told him? I'll not pass the night with you. It is done. You believe Jesus is able to fix that? You believe he's able to fix a relationship with your children that you never had? Never had. You hope for something you never practice. You never set the example. And they're so grown up and so far away now, it's absolutely impossible to ever repair that. You believe he's able to repair that? <laughs> Do you believe he can help you financially, emotionally, spiritually? Do you believe that he is able to meet every need that you have? That's the question that he wants me to ask you today. These blind men said, would you show us kindness? And Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to show you kindness? They said, yes. And they exercised faith. You don't have to see it. How many times do we pray? Lord, uh, give me a clear sign. <laughs> Bible says live by faith. Why are we asking for clear signs? Oh, Lord, just show me. He, he's already done that 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Live by faith. Do you believe he is able? Listen, just a few. In Hebrews, he's able to save. In 2 Timothy, he's able to keep. In Romans, he's able to establish. In Acts, he's able to build you up. In Hebrews, he's able to help. Uh, in Romans he's, 14, he's able to make you stand. In Ephesians 3, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above that which we are able. In <laughs> uh, Jude, he's able to keep you from falling. In Hebrews, he's able to raise the dead. And it goes on. You fill in the blank. Do you believe he is able? On the authority of this book, and by personal experience, I'll tell you what will happen if you dare believe, trust that he is able. He'll move heaven and earth to meet you. He'll guide you. He'll help you. He'll save you. If you but believe. I can hardly believe he gives us a choice. But he does. You do not have to live like you are the rest of your life. You can start over today. New life. New sight. New sound. Let's pray. It's our delight, Father, to lift him up, the Lord Jesus. There's none likened to him. He is altogether lovely. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. He's the only mediator between men and God. There's no other way. He said it himself. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so, Lord, I commit to you every person here this morning that if they would but understand they are hopeless without Christ. Oh, they may be a Christian and they're trying to run their own life. And they've done nothing but make a mess of it. They need to repent. They need to confess. They need to refresh 
their heart and mind and once again believe that he is able. And for any who might say, well, this kind of sounds like a good sermon, but I, I don't really get it. And pray the Spirit of God will work in their heart. Show them their need and give them grace to make a step of faith to trust Christ today. For the fellowship, Lord, that we're going to enjoy and with the strangers that we're going to enjoy it with. Thank you for hands that have prepared throughout this weekend, hearts that have labored for the Lord Jesus. We haven't seen them. Oh, they've been up late and got up early, and they have it all prepared for us to enjoy. Oh, God, give them a portion. Bless them. Thank you for them. And bless the food and the fellowship because we ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.